my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me lie in pastures green. He leads me by the still, still waters. His goodness restores my soul. And I will trust in you, and I will trust in you, for your endless mercy follows me, your goodness will lead me home. He guides my St. Glad those of you, it's a long weekend, so we're missing a good amount of people, but I'm glad that you guys are here. Uh, welcome to whoever's watching us on the live stream, too. If you're watching on the live stream, please do me a favor and shoot me an email or uh, text me. Let me know that you're uh, watching and how we can serve you best. I, I don't have a ton of announcements. One is um, that uh, I'm supposed to tell you that a new episode of the podcast that Larry and Chuck and I do, Craving Answers, Craving God, uh, What's the what's the word that you use? Am I allowed to say dropped and it'd be okay? Like that's I'm too old to say a new episode dropped, but I don't know what else to call it. Uh, so check that out and let Chuck and I and uh, Larry know what you think. And um, everything's on schedule for today. Uh, confirmation class after the morning service, prayer tonight, and then uh, if you want to participate in the Lewis Bible study, please let me know. That's uh, this Wednesday night at seven o'clock p.m. Uh, chapter. 
what, what did we say? Chapter 5 is the chapter you're supposed to read for uh, this coming uh, Wednesday. And if you need a Zoom link, let me know and I can send that out to you. Okay, let's stand and let's pray. And then we'll uh, continue into worship. Uh, Father, be with us uh, this morning as we come and we worship you. We, we all walk in with uh, the shame of our brokenness, but we also all walk in with the, uh, weirdly enough, with the pride of our brokenness as well. And it's so hard to humble ourselves. But Father, we know that forgiveness, uh, repentance and forgiveness and confession is the only way that we can ex- really exist in your presence and in the presence of each other. And so will you give, that, will you give us that this morning? Will you give us the gift of repentance? Will you give us hearts that long to seek forgiveness from you and from each other? Will you give us hearts that long to pass on forgiveness to each other when we're sinned against? It's the work of your Holy Spirit. We can't stir this up in ourselves. So we need you to use your word and your sacrament to do that for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let us confess our sin to God, O Lord, great God, all holy, Father most gracious, filled with mercy and steadfast love. We are embarrassed to come before you, for we have rebelled against your wisdom and have gotten into trouble. For we have rejected your fatherly guidance and have gotten lost altogether, and therefore we are embarrassed. To you belongs righteousness, O Lord, and to us confusion of face. O Lord, great God, all holy, Father, most gracious, filled with mercy and steadfast love, incline your ear to our troubles. Hear us when we pour out our sorrows before you. Forgive us, not on the ground of our own righteousness, but on the ground of your great mercy, on the ground of your great mercy in the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. It is in His name that we pray, for He is our Savior and the mediator of the covenant of grace. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the Gospel of Christ from Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far He removes our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, So the Lord has compassion for those who fear Him. Amen. Please stay standing for the first hymn.
stood beneath the cross of Calvary and gazed on your face at the thorns of oppression and the wounds of disgrace. For surely you have borne our suffering and carried our grief as you pour Psalm is Psalm 103, and yes, I know that that was the psalm I just read in the absolution. I, I, I planned to use that psalm in the absolution before I, but before I knew that it was actually the psalm of the morning too. And, and it's it's awesome because it actually goes right in with the uh, sermon, which is about forgiveness. So let's read Psalm 103 together. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. The Old Testament reading is uh, two stories, which actually go back to back in the, in, in the book of Genesis. The first story is the story of Jacob wrestling with God. And the second story is... Um, uh, Jacob going to meet his brother, which happens right after the, the wrestling with God. The same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. 
And Jacob was left alone. And a man, this is one of the weirdest stories in the Bible, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip, hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So at this point, Jacob knows he's not wrestling with just a common man. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Israel in Hebrew, the word Israel means wrestles with God. Then Jacob asked him, I'm sorry, then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So definitely a, different, a power difference there. Uh, the one refuses to give up his complete character, uh, but Jacob is forced to. Uh, so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face. Peniel is Hebrew for the face of God. For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that's on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. And then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And at last Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob had sent a bunch of gifts in front to his brother to try and like soften him up so he would be nicer to him. Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, No, please, if I found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I've seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading is from Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore remember that at one time, this is the, Paul is addressing, uh, there's a division in the church, and the division is between uh, Jews and Gentiles, and uh, they've started to split because they've come from different places and have different worldviews and worship different ways. And Paul's making an argument like he does in so many of his books, like he does in Galatians, like he does in uh, Romans, and he's saying, if God has reconciled us to him, that means he's reconciled us together as well. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, you Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both, Jew and Gentile, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself 
one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can our uh, can the um, confirmants come forward now? So uh, it's been a couple of years since we 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 had stopped having a new members class, and you can just line up at the rail wherever you want to. We stopped having new members classes because of COVID, and uh, so uh, we started one up uh, recently. We have a couple of holdovers from the from the previous one who decided to join us. Um, confirmation is not in the Bible. It's not taught in the Bible. You could do without it and not be violating God's will. But what is taught in the Bible is confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead. And so when people come and join St. James, what we want to do is we want to give them an opportunity to confess with their mouth that they believe that Jesus is Lord. So we're all on the same sort of unified Christian page going in. And that's what we do with adult confirmation. So uh, I'm going to ask these guys some questions, and then I'm going to have you uh, participate here in a second. So, um, confirmants, do you today acknowledge in the presence of God in this congregation the gifts that God gave you in your baptism? And, and then you'll respond at this parts on your paper where your response is at. Do you renounce the devil and all his works and all his ways? Do you believe in the triune God revealed in the Bible and confessed in the Apostles' Creed? If so, please join the congregation in confessing our faith with that creed. So everybody stand, and we're going to say the Apostles' Creed together now with, the, uh, with all of us up here. It's in your bulletin. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You all may be seated. Confirmants, do you hold all the prophetic and apostolic scriptures to be the inspired word of God? Do you confess the doctrine of the evangelical Lutheran church drawn from the scriptures as you've learned to know it from the small catechism to be faithful and true? Do you intend to hear the word of God and receive the Lord's Supper faithfully? Do you intend to live according to the word of God and in faith, word, and deed to remain true to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? and his church, even to death. As you continue to hear the Lord's word and receive his sacrament, he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You may all kneel. Janice Wendell, 2 Samuel twenty two thirty one. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Nick Shoddy. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23-24, the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. David Rapp, Deuteronomy 7, 9, know, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments.
to a thousand generations. Kai Lukert, Romans 8, 38, through 38 and 39, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Rosanna Bargain, Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Rosie Ellington, Matthew, 8, Matthew 11, 28 through 30, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Jesus says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. William Ellington, Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let's pray. Father, we thank and praise you for your goodness in bringing your children, all of us, to the knowledge of your Son and allowing their mouths to confess and their hearts to believe that he is Lord. And now allow them, Father, to continue bearing fruit and grow in grace until that day when you make all things new. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Almighty, and God, the Almighty God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given you the new birth of water and of the Spirit and has forgiven you all your sins, strengthen you with his grace to life everlasting. Amen. You guys may return to your seat. And if the officers for this year can come forward as well, we're going to install two months late uh, the officers. Uh, I'm not going to go into a big explanation about this because I've preached sermons about this. The Bible teaches that there's two offices in the Christian church that God has called to serve as people, elders and deacons. And so uh, they're not all here, but the ones who are here are, we're going to install this morning. Hey, can some of you help these guys out over here? Yeah. That's perfect. Four and four. Perfect. Yeah. And, and the ones who aren't here will be, in, will be installed by proxy uh, with their brothers and sisters up here. So uh, let me real quick just introduce to you, uh, for those of you who aren't uh, familiar, Devin Brockenhoff is an elder. He's not here this morning. Uh, Jared Fry, also an elder. He is homesick. Wayne Inky is an elder, and Wayne is our uh, vice chair. John Lang, Pastor John Lang, also out of town um, today. Dave Moldenauer is uh, elder. He's the secretary of the elder team. Uh, I am on the elders. Uh, Joe Rather, also on the elders, and he's our chair. Uh, the deacons are uh, the deacons are called by God to serve the congregation's physical needs. Let me introduce uh, some of the, some of you to them. Uh, of course, they're not all here either. Shanna Covarubias is here. She heads up our Mercy Ministries. Sandy Hall is here, and she heads up specifically within the Mercy Ministries. It's big enough that it needs its own uh, deaconess. She heads up the Madison County Schools Mission. Larry O'Leary heads up all the technology stuff, which is a ton, and it was it was big before, but. Uh, since COVID happened and we had uh, so we started doing the live stream, it's even increased. And also he does all the, pro, uh, the producing and engineering stuff for the podcast. Chuck Rathert is uh, now up here. Chuck is in charge of the music team and also Chuck oversees the podcast and he's the host of the podcast. Uh, Chuck was on KFUO for 20 years, so you can uh, hear the uh, sweet dulcet radio tones of Chuck's voice if you listen to our podcast. Uh, Judy Reese is not here today. She heads up the Alter Guild team. Oh, by the way, these, aren't, uh, these people aren't in charge of all this stuff. All of us are servant leaders. So it's our job, according to Ephesians 4.11, as the servant leaders, to equip you guys for the work of the ministry. So Alter Guild, 
uh, music, uh, youth team, all these things, uh, these people up here would love to have your help, okay? Uh, more on that later on this, uh, this spring. Eric Robinson, also out of town. So whenever we have a, a long weekend, everybody bails on us. Eric Robinson's on vacation. He leads the education team. Tim Schnicker is up here, and he leads the property team. Uh, Stacy Stocky is here, and she is the leader of our youth team. And then Jen Weber, also out of town, uh, heads up the uh, fellowship team and takes care of like uh, you know big events, uh, fellowship events here at church. Also out of town is the treasurer, Elaine Eberhardt, and then our church administrator, Cheryl Schnicker, is here. She runs the church, and that's not a joke. She's in charge here. Uh, anything that doesn't involve word and sacrament, Cheryl, is uh, call her and uh, talk to her. Okay. Um, you've been, uh, you, um, let me speak to, the, uh, to our servants here. Uh, you all have been called to the ministry of shepherding and serving St. James Lynn Carbon in her community. This task carries heavy responsibilities. You've been entrusted with the teaching, defending, and sharing of the gospel. Although your responsibilities may seem heavy, you need not fear. God has promised to be with you in the person of the Holy Spirit who will provide for your every need. Therefore, honestly answer the following questions before God and in the presence of our congregation. Are you willing to accept this responsibility to which God has called you? If so, say we are. Will you study God's word and pray so that you might be faithful followers of Jesus? If so, say we will. Will you faithfully teach or minister God's word to those entrusted to your care, giving freely of your heart, mind, time, and spiritual gifting for their benefit and for God's glory? If so, say we will with the help of God. Will you be a proper role model for those observing your behavior, teaching not just with words but with actions? If so, say we will with the help of God. Will you faithfully be committed to the worship life of St. James Glen Carbon? so that you may come to better know and love our shepherd and his sheep. If so, say we will. Members and friends of St. James, we celebrate the presence of God today as we recognize his call received by these members of our family to the shepherding and serving of St. James Glen Carbon and her community. They come in a spirit of devotion to offer themselves to God for this service, and so it's our obligation to support them by our loyalty and prayers, seeking with them and for them, consecration from on high, that they may be empowered for this calling with reverence and faithfulness to the glory of God. Will you, as fellow members and friends of St. James Glen Carbon, and as partners in the gospel, promise, promise them your loyal cooperation and prayer support? If so, say, we will. Then I install you as elders and deacons, called to the high privilege of shepherding and serving the members of St. James Glen Carbon and her community. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. God, be with these, your servants, and bless them as they seek to serve us. May we faithfully uphold them with our prayers. May you do powerful things through the ministry that they do, serving in mercy, serving in word, uh, serving in community. And may our community here, uh, St. James Glen Carbon, as well as Glen Carbon and Edwardsville, may, be a strength, may it be strengthened because of the ministry you are doing through your Holy Spirit embodied by these, your servants, up here this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You all may return to your seats, and we will sing the sermon hymn.
gospel reading. The Holy Gospel according to St. John chapter 20. Glory to you, O Lord. This is after the resurrection. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. So I'm going to do something I, I, I don't normally do. It's, it's not super weird or anything. Uh, but I uh, help give a little bit of direction here. I normally try to preach, my, my normal goal when I get up here is to preach an expository sermon. I want to take a text, and then I want to explain what that text says. And the benefit, of course, of that is that it prioritizes God's Word. Uh, God's Word takes precedent. I can't avoid parts of the story that are uncomfortable for me. I just got to kind of dive in and then do it. Um, sometimes, though, uh, what I want to do is I'm going to preach on a topic this morning, and that sermon is going to be a little bit different I'm going to preach on the topic of forgiveness, and I'm going to, it's, 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 it's going to be a topical sermon. I'm not going to preach from one text, but I'm going to borrow from a bunch of other texts in the Bible to talk about it. Now, th that's not bad, but the danger of it is this, is that I've chosen a topic, and I'm deciding, I'm selecting which verses that I use to back up that topic. 
Maybe there are other verses in the Bible which might have a different slant on it, which I'm avoiding. There's definitely a process of selection going on. Expository sermons are the best because you, you, you can't do that. You have to preach whatever the text says. And, um, but I'm, that's what I'm going to do this morning. And uh, one of the reasons is because the topic that I want to preach on, I want to use a bunch of different texts. And I'm a, my goal has been for the past three years to preach this topic once every other year specifically, the topic of forgiveness. And there's a few reasons, and I'm going to get into some of these in the sermon more in depth. But one is that forgiveness is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Our God is a forgiving God, and he calls us to be forgiving people. The gospel is a gospel of reconciliation. And so forgiveness has to be the coin of the realm for Christians. The second reason I want to talk about this is um, because for some, some of you know, I'm, I'm going to tip a little bit where I'm going here. Um, we haven't, when I've done the confession and absolution at our church, I haven't done the classical uh, Lutheran absolution, which goes like this. Um, Upon this confession of your faith, I, by virtue of my calling as a, as a, a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Which, when I became a Lutheran, that was the thing that like shocked me the most. It is coming from being a Baptist. I was like, what did that guy say? Did he just say, I forgive your sins? And I haven't done that. And the reason why is not to avoid the shock. The reason why is because if I consistently say that, I'm afraid that it gives the impression that forgiveness is a special pastor thing. Like once I put on the green stole, I have this magical power that can forgive sins. Instead of seeing it as a Christian thing, and one of the things I want to do this year is I want to start circling back that absolution in there because there's something special and powerful about it. But I want to emphasize that what we've done this past year has not been in vain. I want to emphasize that when I forgive the congregation their sins, it's not a special pastor thing. It's actually a model for all of us to forgive sins in the same way. And more on that in the sermon, okay? So, uh, jumping in here. Main thought today, we're talking about forgiveness which hopefully you got from the, uh, from the psalm reading and from the, the absolution and from the other scripture readings. Forgiveness is the work of God. That's the main, that's the main thought. Forgiveness is the work of God. I'm going to give you three sort of sub-points underneath of that, and I'm going to try to hustle through these as best as I can. The first is this. The foundation of forgiveness is the cross of Jesus Christ. The foundation of forgiveness, all forgiveness, has to be the cross. It has to be the cross. Forgiveness doesn't happen if Jesus didn't die on the cross. And I'm talking about like great cosmic forgiveness. You and I reconciled to God. I'm talking about the forgiveness between you and your friends. If Jesus doesn't die on the cross, it doesn't happen. It's absolutely essential that Jesus dies on the cross for forgiveness to happen. Forgiveness is founded on the cross of Jesus Christ. Okay, I've said that enough times. Ephesians 2.16, look at that with me. That was the epistle reading. And I'm gonna go to verse 14. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus himself is our peace. And he's talking about two separate pieces that Jesus has made in this text. One is the piece that he's made between us and each other. More on that in just a few minutes. But you can't get there if you don't start with the peace that God has made between us and himself through the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 16, God wants to reconcile us both to God in one body through the, cro- through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Reconciliation to God only happens because Jesus died on the cross In order for the hostility between us and God to die, God himself had to die. Forgiveness doesn't happen if Jesus doesn't die. All right, 
Now, some of you are going to think and say, and, and, and I, I think this sometimes too, why though? Like, why, why would Jesus have to die for God to forgive my sins? It, like, God, can't he be like the biggest God? Can he, can't he be the big person in the room? Can't he just be like, you know what? I'm just going to overlook it. I'm just going to forgive you guys. I'm just going to say, you're forgiven. He could not do that. And the reason why, so actually this is a pretty common thing for unbelievers to think. It's also a fairly common thing for some Christians to think is that this is what forgiveness is. God looks at your sins and he looks at the gap between you and him and just says, it's cool. You guys are fine. I forgive you. There's an Eastern Orthodox scholar and her name is uh, Frederica Matthews Green. She's, She's a really good scholar. She's married to another really good Eastern Orthodox scholar. But she says this about forgiveness. She says, for the early church and the Eastern church until today, there never was any question about it. We just believe that God forgives us. Okay, so far, so good. He forgives the sin. He doesn't ask anybody to pay for it. Okay, so now we're drifting away from Scripture a little bit and from what Paul just says about us being reconciled through the blood of the cross. He doesn't ask anybody to pay for it. It's like if you owed your friend some money and he said, I forgive the debt. It doesn't mean that you have to go get a third party to pay it for you. It means that he lets it go. That's what forgiving a debt means. One of Jesus' parables is about a man who had two debtors. One owed $5 and one owed $5 million. And he forgave them both. And that's the end of the parable. God just forgives us. So a couple things. First of all, it's not the end of the parable. Jesus tells that parable and then he leaves and he goes and he gets crucified and rises from the dead. But second of all, let's, let's come back, let's circle back to this illustration that she has where she says, that's not the way forgiveness works, she says. Forgiveness is somebody owes you money and they come to you and say, I can't pay it. And you say, okay, I forgive the debt. And that you don't get somebody else to pay the debt, you just forgive it. That's how she says it works. Is this the way forgiveness really works though? Is that the way that, for, like in your own life, is that the way forgiveness works? All right. So let, let, let me give you an illustration to, to, to sort of counterbalance uh, Frederica's illustration. Let's say that I was walking, in the, let's say that we were walking down the hall past each other, and, um, and uh, um, some of you have heard this before, and if you listen to the podcast, uh, you've heard this too, which, but, but you should listen to the podcast. We're walking down the hall, and I step on your toe, and I say, oh, oh I am so, so sorry. Will you forgive me? You would say, well, probably overkill. You know, you step on somebody's toe, you don't usually say, will you forgive me? You usually just say, oh, I'm sorry, because it doesn't hurt that bad, you know? I mean, maybe for a second it was kind of uncomfortable, but I don't really have anything to forgive because you just stepped on my toe. It feels a little weird, you bumping into me and then just saying, will you forgive me? It's not that big of a deal. All right, we get that. Nobody owes anything anybody. I stepped on your toe. It didn't hurt that bad. It's a little uncomfortable. We got a chance to talk for a second and reconnect over your hurt toe and my heel. What, What if, though, what if I was pulling out of church today and I slammed my car into your car accidentally? I thought I was pressing on the brake, pressed on the gas, slammed into your car and smash it to bits. If I come inside and I find you and I say, hey, I am so sorry. I, I just blew your car up. I didn't mean to. I, I swear I was trying to step on the brake. I accidentally stepped on the gas. I blew your car up. And you said to me, I forgive you. What's happening then? Do either of us go to a third party to say, well, now you've got to make up that car? No, but somebody has to make up the car. We have a choice. You can either say to me, okay, look, I I see that you're sorry, but you just blew my car up. You're going to have to buy me a new car. You could do that. 
Or you could say, we could do some sort of combo where like you pay for half and I pay for half. Or you could say, I completely forgive you. Let's act like that never happened. You are forgiven. In which case, you will have to buy a new car. It's, it's not as simple as just saying, nobody has to pay for anything. I just forgive you. Somebody's got to pay for the new car unless you just want to walk around town from now on. Does that make sense? If forgiveness happens, somebody has to pay. Forgiveness can't happen unless a debt is paid, either by the person who did it, in which case it's not forgiveness, or by you, in which case it is forgiveness, but you are carrying the weight of that debt. Let's ramp it up just a little bit. Let's say I come over to your house. You invite me over to your house for some pizza. And in the course of eating dinner at your house, I managed to burn your house down. I don't know how I would do that. Maybe uh, I flicked my cigarette on the floor. And your house burns down. And then I say, I am so sorry I burned your house down. You would say, if you wanted to forgive me, you would say, I forgive you. You would have to pay for uh, the new house. But it's not just the new house. It's also all the memories that you have in that new house. Bringing your, bringing your kids home to that house. The parties that you've thrown in that house. The time that you've spent with your loved one in that house. It's, uh, it's also the, the, the sense of being at home, which takes a while to build up in a new house. The sense of this is my space and I belong here. I've taken that all away from you and there's no way that any one of us can get that back. It's a price that's too high to pay. Here's what I want to argue against Frederica. I want to argue this. Is that when we say, God should just forgive our sins and act like it. You know, he should be the mature man in the room and just say, I forgive you. It's not a big deal. We're actually acting like the sins that we've committed against God and ourselves and each other is more like stepping on somebody's toe than it is like burning each other's house down. But look, look, look around at your life. Look around at your own emotional well-being. Look around at your fears and anxieties. Look around at the relationships that you have. Look around at the sins that you struggle with that you just can't get victory over. And tell me that you're just stepping on God's toe. I would argue that if you just pick up the newspaper, it's pretty clear that we're more like in the process of burning God's house down than we are in just stepping on his toe. In which case, if he's going to forgive us, there's a high price to pay. Look, let me give you the bottom line definition of forgiveness in Christianity. Forgiveness is bearing on your own shoulders the weight of a sin that somebody else ought to bear, but you're choosing to carry it for them. I've committed horrible sin against Angela in my life. She has chosen, in order to forgive me, to carry those sins on her shoulders and not make me be punished for those sins. That's what forgiveness is. The only way that that price can be paid is if God himself gives up his life for it. The, the cross isn't some sort of weird barbaric ritual that's meant to illustrate the cosmic love of a creator God who longs to be reconciled to his people. It's actually the only way to make him right with us. It's the only path that he had was his own death. Now, we'll, we'll talk later on about his own resurrection, super important part of the story. But it is the foundation of forgiveness is the cross. We're called on, here's the second move, we're called to pass this forgiveness on to each other. God pays the ultimate, he pays the ultimate cost, like the, like the parable that she illustrates. Actually, $5 million is underselling it. We talked about this in the summer. Remember this parable from Mark? What Jesus said, like the 10,000 talents, it's actually like, it's actually like $500 trillion. It's way more than like the annual income of the Roman Empire. It's some weird, it's basically Jesus in the parable saying, one guy owed another guy a gazillion dollars, and the other guy said it was okay. The other guy, it's not just okay, right? The other guy lost a gazillion dollars. He gave a gazillion dollars to this guy and then doesn't get it back. He has to eat it. The point of that parable is, yes, 
God eats our sin. He carries the weight of it. He carries the cost of it himself. But the other point of the parable is this, is that now, being liberated from that massive financial debt, I've got the funds, not my funds, they're the funds that Jesus gave me when he died on the cross. I've got the funds to, to, to forgive your debts. And in order to, to, to realize what it means to live the life of salvation in God, we have to be forgiving each other. This brings us to the second point, which is this. The author of forgiveness is God. The foundation of forgiveness is the cross, but the author of real forgiveness is always God. Ephesians 2, go back to verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There's the blood of Christ again. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. In this text, who's getting reconciled? Are we being reconciled to others or are we being reconciled to God? And the answer for Paul in Ephesians 2 is yes. We're being reconciled to others because we are being reconciled to God. And this is the first move. Forgiveness flows out of, if we get this, if, we can, if you and I can understand as Christians, let me talk to Christians for a minute, if we can understand that our forgiveness in Jesus Christ means that we're called upon and in fact given the privilege of finally forgiving each other for the sake of Jesus Christ, then we can be empowered to live lives that are authored by God. And just real quick, let me argue this, is that um, forgiveness, true forgiveness can only honestly be done by people who have the capital to do that. I only have the capital to forgive your sins. You only have the capital to forgive my sins is because Jesus flooded your bank account with forgiveness on the cross. Other than that, what do we have? Worst case scenario, revenge. Best case scenario, silent sort of stewing. What we call forgiveness, what our culture, we'll get back to this in a minute. What our culture calls forgiveness outside of the cross of Jesus Christ is just letting things go and trying to breathe deeply and be at calm with it, be at peace with it. That's no forgiveness at all. More on that in just a second. The only way I can truly look at you and say, or you can look at me, that's probably, I, I, I sin against you guys way more than you sin against me. The only way I can, you can truly look at me and say, Aaron, I forgive you, is if you know that my sin has been covered up by the blood of Jesus. Your sin's been covered up by the blood of Jesus. And you've got all the capital in the world to forgive me, and you don't lose anything. Because he's paid that, whatever that 10 gazillion dollars in debt was. Three things here, real quick. Forgiveness, underneath the category of forgiveness is authored by God. First, forgiveness flows out of justification by faith. Those of you who are Protestants, those of you who are Reformational people, especially those of you who are Lutheran, we believe that justification is by faith alone. And what we mean by that is that there's nothing good inside of us. There's no goodness or strength inside of us that would be attractive to God or that can figure out a way to get to God. We're only saved by God's gift of salvation through faith. Most all of you believe that. But now, compare that with your own life. I want you to look back over the course. And some of us are better at this than others. I'm not very good at this. I'm working on this. Look back at the course of your life. How long ago did you have a moment where you said to somebody, I am sorry I hurt you. Will you please forgive me? Or somebody said to you, I'm so sorry that I hurt you. Will you forgive me? And you did not want to, but you were like, for the sake of Jesus and because of what he did for me, I'm going to forgive this person. Look back over your life. All of you are in relationships. You're bumping shoulders with people all day long. I'm assuming that there are sins committed against spouses, against parents, against kids, against uh, coworkers, against neighbors, against fellow church members. Look back over the course of the past several years. When have you said, I am wrong, forgive me? Now, we claim to believe in total depravity. 
that we are completely sinful, but that Jesus saves us by grace? Do we live it out? That's not just fire insurance. Justification by faith is a way of life. Do we experience in the way that we receive and give forgiveness? If not, what we need to do is see that there's a disjunct between what we believe and how we live and start to repair that. This, is, this, this will be really important in the third point here. It's essential that we live lives of forgiven people and forgiving people if we've been justified by faith. Second thing underneath uh, the author of forgiveness is God. Forgiveness fights against the work of Satan. Forgiveness is a frontline attack against the work of Satan. What do I mean? Well, what is the word, what does the name Satan actually mean? I know now it's like a Halloween word, right? I mean, it's kind of spooky, uh, scary guy with the, you know, uh, sneaking around doing bad stuff. But what does the word Satan mean? Literally, the word Satan in Greek means uh, the accuser, the one who accuses. The Bible tells the story of Satan, and in the story of the Bible, Satan is like the prosecuting attorney. Satan is constantly going before the throne room of God and saying, this person here is guilty. He's an accuser. It's what he does. Now, let me just say, is accusing bad? No, sometimes you have to accuse. Sometimes, somebody, sometimes some people need to come to me and say, hey, Aaron, you lost your temper there. You need to repent. That's an accusation. But, but I'm assuming that as my brothers and sisters in Christ, or even my next born neighbor, their, their point is, is to get me to change, to repent, and come back. Accusing is not the default mode. God himself is an accuser. In Psalm 103, which we read in the Confession and Absolution, uh, which, hold on, let me find it real quick here. It says, God will not always accuse nor will he keep his anger forever. God accuses, but it's not his default mode. He accuses, but he accuses so that he can bring you to a place of forgiveness. Satan, though, is a consistent accuser. When he goes home and sleeps at night, he's still the prosecuting attorney. He wants to condemn you, and he's constantly going before God, and he's constantly going in your own mind and saying, this person's not worthy. This person is guilty. He is an accuser, all right? In Job, this is what he does. The beginning of the book of Job, he goes before God, and he says, hey, Job, you see your guy Job down there? I'd like to put him on trial. Let's put him on trial. And God says, okay, well, let's bring him up. We'll stick him in the dock. Let's see what happens. He's going to be innocent. And Satan's like, no, I'm a pretty good lawyer. I'm going to get him here. And God says, no, God wins that. Well, let me give you two more passages from Scripture. Zechariah 3.1. Zechariah has a vision where he sees Joshua, the high priest at the time. And he sees Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. That's what Satan is doing. He's standing right next to you, accusing you. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. And then there's God who's the defense lawyer. God's the judge. His son is the defense lawyer. Some of you, some of you like all you hear is accusations. So a 10-second uh, little uh, sidebar. So, some of you, all you hear is accusations. You just accuse yourself all day long. You're not worthy. You're not good enough. You fail all the time. And you know what you're doing? It's like you're listening to the prosecuting attorney. You're sitting in the, de- the defense side of the courtroom, and you're like telling your lawyer, Jesus, like, hey, that prosecuting attorney's got some pretty good points over there. So it goes back to the first John 3 sermon I preached uh, last year. How, how foolish is that? Don't do that. Don't let your own heart side with the prosecution. Satan is an accuser. Here's good news about Satan as, as the accuser. Revolution, Revelation chapter 12, Jesus dies and rises from the dead. John has this vision where he hears, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, John sees this. He hears a voice saying, now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. God, Jesus dies and rises from the dead. God says to, God says to the prosecuting attorney, okay, we're done here. Uh, court's adjourned. You need to leave. He is thrown down. 
When you participate in accusation, you are participating on the side of Satan. If there are people in your life, there are people in my life who I will not forgive, I am siding with Satan. I am saying there are people who, nope, not going to do it. First of all, I'm undermining salvation by grace through faith alone. I'm saying we're all saved. I'm a wicked sinner saved by grace. That person, though, doesn't deserve it, and I'm standing in condemnation. First of all, that doesn't work. Second of all, Satan, the accuser, loves it when we accuse each other. However, if you refuse to accuse, if, the best model for this in my life is Angela. If I sin against Angela, and she says, he's wrong, he deserves to be punished, but I refuse to punish him. I refuse to pass on the pain that he's caused me back onto him. If I refuse to accuse, she is doing the Lord's work. She is giving me justification by grace through faith. She's embodying it. She's embodying for me the love of Jesus. That's so important. Another 10-second sidebar. This is bad preaching. You shouldn't do all these sidebars. I'm going to do this because some of you are going to ask me this question later on. I'm trying to fit all my, all my forgiveness sermons into the space of a few minutes. Um, some of you struggle with forgiving because you're like, I just can't forgive this person. They've done this harm to me and I can't forgive them. And I'll talk to you about it, and you'll end up saying to me, I'll, I'll end up asking you, well, like, what's your relationship like with them now? And you'll be like, oh, we don't talk very much, and I just try and keep my distance. And I'll be like, well, have they ever come and asked you to forgive them? And you'll say, no, they never have. They've never come and asked for forgiveness. Now, let me say this. You cannot forgive that person, all right? You can have a heart that's willing to forgive. We should pray that God would give us hearts that want forgiveness and reconciliation to happen. But forgiveness and reconciliation is actually a relational exchange, you can't, you, you can't do it. You can't get married to somebody who won't show up at the church with you. You can't eat lunch with somebody who stands you up at the restaurant. You just can't do it. Forgiveness can only happen if somebody comes and asks you for forgiveness. For forgiveness to happen, there has to be repentance is a biblical way of saying that. Do not stress out. Don't be like, I just can't forgive this person. One of the reasons why you can't forgive them is because they won't ask for forgiveness. That's on them. Learn to be at peace with a heart that loves forgiveness and longs to forgive and pray that God would lead them to ask for forgiveness. Pray that God would lead us to ask for forgiveness in places where we don't want to or are unaware of the way that we've hurt other people. But don't stress out about people who you can't forgive who haven't asked for forgiveness. Okay, back to our regularly scheduled program. Third thing. Underneath the author of forgiveness of God. Forgiveness makes real the gospel of reconciliation. My favorite story, and again, I'm going to preach this sermon twice a year, and so you're going to hear some overlap. I know I've talked about this text in here before. My favorite illustration of this is Genesis chapter 33. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let's look at the last verse together. Jacob is fighting. He's wrestling with God. He doesn't know what's going on here. But he finally realizes at some point in the middle of the night in this wrestling match that the dude who is grappling with me is actually superhuman, like suprahuman. This is like the God, creator God himself. God blesses him. Jacob names the, the name of the place Peniel, the face of God, because he says, I saw God's face. We were wrestling in the middle of the night, and I saw God's face, and I lived. He leaves there to go meet his brother. He has defrauded his brother out of a significant amount of property and money, as well as cultural position. And he knows for a fact that his brother is trying to kill him. He knows that because the last time he saw his brother, his brother was running behind him trying to kill him. He leaves, runs away for 14 years, finally decides, I've got to go back. But my brother's trying to, he tries to bribe him. He walks up to his brother. He knows his brother's going to try to kill him. But instead, his brother starts crying and reaches out his arms and grabs him and holds on to him. 
And Jacob says this, and look at the last verse of the, the Old Testament. Jacob says this, I've seen your face, and it's like the face of God. Now, who, who better has the ability to say what the face of God looks like than the man who just 12 hours previously saw the face of God wrestling with him? But he's seen the face of God, and he's seen the face of forgiveness in his brother's face, and they're actually, he says, the same face. When we forgive each other, we are showing each other God himself. So this is what I mean when I say that God is the author of forgiveness. When we forgive each other in the name of Jesus, it is God himself who's forgiving us, which brings us to point number three, and then we'll be done. God's agent of forgiveness is his church, God's new people. The Bible clearly teaches this, is that when God forgives us, he forgives us through his church. I don't mean like the institution of the church, although that's important too. I mean through the body of Christ, the people. Jacob experiences forgiveness in the face of Esau. I have experienced forgiveness in the face of Angela. When you forgive me, I see God in your forgiveness of me. What do I mean? Look at John chapter 20. This is the, uh, this is the gospel reading. John 20. Jesus says to his disciples, he shows up and he says, peace be with you. Verse 21, he says to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they're forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it's withheld. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, okay, question, what did God the Father send Jesus to do? Well, we, already, we just read this in Ephesians chapter 2, to reconcile the world to himself, to forgive the sins of the world so that God could be restored to this relationship he longed in the Garden of Eden to have with his humans and with his environment that he had created for his glory. He sends Jesus to do that. And Jesus shows up after the resurrection and says, as the Father sends me for the purpose of reconciliation and forgiveness, so I'm sending you for the purpose of reconciliation, sending the church. And then his apostles, the, 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 the church body who's sitting there, he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they're forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it's without. Now question, why didn't Jesus just say, Nobody can forgive sins but God, and so you guys stay out of it. You can pray for them, but don't do any, you, you stay away from that whole forgiveness of sins thing. He doesn't do that because this is a big topic. I'm going to dip my toe in here. Lots of sermons that we should talk about this at some point. Because God chooses to use the physical things of the world. He chooses to use his church to be the agent by which he rescues the world. God has chosen his church to be the agent by which forgiveness of sins is announced and actualized. It is his church that does this. Some of you grew up in churches where the negative aspect of this doctrine was emphasized, but you believed in it. Those of you who grew up not in Lutheran church, but I grew up in a Baptist church, and we had what we would call church discipline, and it went like this. I'm going to quote from Matthew chapter 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. That's good. If he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Still with the goal of reconciliation, take other people with you to say, you've sinned against me, I need you to repent. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Let the church say to this person, you've sinned, you need to repent. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, in other words, an outsider, to say you have no right to assurance of salvation. You have no right to the sacrament. You can certainly come and worship, but you have no right to belong to the church until you repent and ask for forgiveness. Truly I say to you, Jesus says this, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Now, I remember that text being read when I was a kid in terms of church discipline. Somebody refuses to repent, and the church has a right to say, 
Your sins are unforgiven until you repent. But what we didn't focus on was actually the sweeter, more positive next part. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Well, how does this work? How can the, how can the Christian church forgive people's sins and it's actually God himself doing it? Well, he goes on to say, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. In the context, it has to do with the forgiveness of sins. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. I know that's a sweet devotional thought. Like where, where two or three are gathered, Jesus is here. But the whole point of it is, is that where two or three of you are gathered, I am there and I can forgive sins through, if just two or three of you, I can forgive sins through that group. Jesus has called us to forgive each other's sins. The Father breathes on his church and says, as the, the, the Holy Spirit breathes on his church, Jesus breathes on his church, the Holy Spirit, and says, as the Father sent me, I send you. Go and forgive people's sins because I will be doing it through you. It's a wonderful, sweet mystery. So what are we going to do with this? First of all, it's this. I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to repeat uh, some things I've said already, and then we'll, we'll be done in just a second. When Angela forgives me, look, let me say it this way. Uh, quit picking on Angela. You and your best friend, you and your spouse, you and your kids, have some sort you and your you and somebody else in church. And, and, and to be honest with you, there's probably a good amount of this that has to happen. After a couple of years of COVID and tensions and bad feelings about this and that, there's probably some of us in here who have to reach out to other people and say, Will you forgive me? Go and do it. I like wherever that is that we need to do it, go and do it. But when that happens, when I sin against my son, when I talk to my son in ways that I shouldn't talk to him, I go to him. This is a good practice too. It's not the best at this. Try not to say, I'm sorry. That, that, that Your emotional state is certainly important, but actually what the other person needs more than knowing that you feel bad is you to confess that you were wrong and ask for forgiveness. When I say to Harry, when I say, I am sorry, will you forgive me? I need to know that Harry personally forgives me. But you know what else I need more deeply than that? I need to know that the sin I committed against Harry is forgiven by Jesus himself. And the good news, based upon John 20, based upon Matthew 18, is this. Is that when Harry looks at me and says, Dad, I forgive you, that it's actually Jesus himself forgiving that sin. Do you realize the power that you have? The power to speak for Jesus. The power to pass on God's forgiveness to each other. Do not neglect that. Satan would love it if we never ask for forgiveness from each other, if we never offer forgiveness. He would love that. Don't do that. Freely give the gospel. Allow your spouse, your loved one, to see God's face in your face. Last thing, and I'll be done. In the next couple of weeks, I'm going to start cycling in that classic Lutheran absolution. Uh, in the stead and by the, the command of my Savior Jesus Christ, I forgive you your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want you to think of it in this framework, in the John 20 framework. It's not Aaron. It's not the stole. It's not me personally. It's not even being a pastor that gives me right to. This is, you, you guys are my milieu. You guys are my venue. And so it's appropriate for me to forgive the congregation's sins. You have your own milieu. You have your own workplace. You have your own families and group of friends. You have your own community groups where it's very, very appropriate for you to say, I forgive you of your sins. It's not some sort of weird, popish, Roman Catholic, supernatural, sacerdotal, mystical power. It's actually the command of God himself. Go and do what I've done here. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. All right, let's stand and pray, then we'll have communion together.
Let's pray. Father, forgive our sins. You know how broken we are. As we come to your table, as we hear the words of forgiveness from your word, as we hear the words of forgiveness from uh, over the congregation and the absolution, as we hear the words of forgiveness from our friends and from our kids and from our parents and from our spouses, God, assure us one more time that for the sake of Jesus Christ, you have wiped away all of our sins. Lord, in your mercy. Father, I want to pray this morning for everybody who's struggling with this, for everybody who is struggling with uh, not being able to forgive other people or not being able to receive forgiveness from people that they'd like to, relationships that are broken where maybe words have been said and walls have been built that seem insurmountable. Father, convince us afresh one more time that the power of your gospel, the power that we actually speak for you when we offer forgiveness to each other is powerful enough to tear down any walls, powerful enough to heal any relationship. Lord, in your mercy. Father, I pray for all those who are struggling with other things, especially physical sicknesses and diseases, um, financial worries, those sorts of things. But Father, I pray especially this morning for those who are doubting right now, for those who are struggling with their faith, for those who are maybe less convinced that um, your son Jesus is the one conduit between humanity and you. Father, I just pray that you would be gentle and loving with them and, and may they feel safe and at home around us, but may they experience the power of the gospel through the love that we show, through the truth that we live out, through the, honestly, through the forgiveness that we offer and through the forgiveness that we receive. Lord, in your mercy. God, you alone know how much you alone know how responsible you are for reconciling us to yourself and to each other. And that the only way we can actually come into your throne room, all of us together, is because you've taken down the barriers between us and you've taken down the barrier between us and you and you've joined us to yourself and made complete reconciliation by the blood of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Let's confess the words, uh, let's confess the words of the Apostles' Creed, confess our Christian faith right now. This is in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let's pray together in Jesus' name the prayer that He taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As we go into communion, um, if you have any questions, if you're visiting with us today and you have any questions about should you take communion or should you not take communion, take a look at the, uh, uh, the announcement that we have in the very, very front uh, of the, uh, the bulletin about communion and the nature of worship. And uh, if you believe what's stated there, you're more than welcome to come and have communion with us. If you have any questions, please uh, come and talk to me. All right, let's begin. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. and When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity may one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. Oh, no. 
Now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people Israel. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen.
bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. One quick thing, uh, real quick. So we had the uh, adult confirmation this morning. We are sometime early March. We're going to start a new, uh, new members class. Please let me know if you'd like to be involved with that. Second thing, look around and find people that you haven't talked to in a while and uh, go work on that relationship. Build a foundation that you can exchange forgiveness with, with other people. Go in peace.